The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This evening, we'd like to return to the Gospel of John, John chapter 7. And where we pick this up here in John chapter 7, we'd like to look at verse 25, and hopefully we can make our way through the end of the chapter in John chapter 7. Verse 25, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but whence Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. So this is part of the confusion surrounding Jesus Christ is because there are various prophecies that these Jews were very well aware of that Jesus would be a divine figure, right? So the Christ would come down from heaven, that the Christ would be God. But how is it that we know where this man is? We, we know where he's from. We know his parents. So how is it that this man could be the Christ? Because we know his origin. We know um, where he grew up, where he came from. We know his parents. And then a little bit later on in the chapter, these Jews were, were very well versed in the Old Testament scriptures that Christ was going to come out of Bethlehem. Now, why is it that if he comes from Bethlehem, why is it that Jesus of Nazareth is from Galilee? So number one, Christ, when he comes, we don't think we're gonna know where he came from, but we know where he came from. And furthermore, where he came from is not Bethlehem, or at least to most people's knowledge, he did, he did not come from Bethlehem because early in his life, Joseph moved up there to Nazareth. So there's a lot of contention among the people there in Jerusalem about Christ and the origins of Jesus Christ. And also they were confused that he, he spoke with so much authority there in Jerusalem. He speaketh boldly, but the, he was not publicly rebuked by the Pharisees. They say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Okay, so verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple. Okay, Jesus is teaching definitively. Jesus is teaching with authority in the temple. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. So he's saying, I came from my father. I came from heaven. And that is my origin. And I know God. I know the father. I know him, for I am from him, and the father has sent me. Then they sought to take him, 
but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, he will do more miracles than these, which this man hath done. <laughs> it's so interesting, the, the varying opinions of what Christ supposedly would be when he would come. And it's just amazing that many people believed on him. These are people that they weren't doubters, uh, but in their mind, they had set the Christ up as something that was just simply not what they were expecting. And they said, <laughs> when Christ cometh, Will he do more miracles than these, than this man hath done? Jesus was performing all of these miracles. So the people were questioning here, when Christ cometh, he'll do even more miracles than these that this man hath done, <laughs> which is just amazing, right? You just, you can't ever satisfy anybody. You cannot satisfy man at all. Uh, Jesus is healing lepers, he's healing the blind, he's healing the sick, he's doing all of these amazing miracles, and all of these miracles validate his divinity, but the people, even those that believed on him, again, these weren't scoffers, people that believed on him, they said, well, actually, we know he's doing some miracles, but actually, we think Christ is going to do even more than he's doing. <laughs> I tell you, it's just amazing. Uh, you just can never satisfy anybody. Jesus Christ is performing all these miracles to validate his divinity. And the people look at that and say, you know what? I think he'll, he would probably do more than that if he really was the Christ, if he really was the Messiah. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So the Son of God manifest in the flesh and they're, they're sending some officers to try to arrest him. But they were not able to because his time was not yet come. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I will go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and ye shall not find me. And whether I am, thither ye cannot come. Now he's speaking specifically here to these, uh, these whited sepulcher, wicked Pharisees who were trying to arrest him. And they were not children of God. They may give the pretense in an external way of displaying some external uh, pretense of religion, but inside they were dead men's bones. They were not children of God. They were of their father, the devil, that he addresses in the next chapter in John chapter eight. So you seek me, but you're not seeking to follow me, really. You're not seeking me to uh, find me uh, you're you're seeking me to simply arrest me. You're not seeking to follow me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. And notice that's a reference. Jesus was on earth as the son of God, but also at the same time, he was still in heaven. Not, not just where I'm going, not where I'm returning to, but where I am. I'm in heaven and you have no place in heaven. Whither ye cannot come, the residing place of my father you will not have any authority. You have no place there where I am, where Jesus still resides at the right hand of God the Father, where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go that we cannot find him? Among the Gentiles, will he teach among the Gentiles? He's saying where he's gonna go somewhere where we can't find him. Is he gonna leave Jerusalem? Is he going to leave Judea? Is he going to leave and go live among the Gentiles? No, he's talking about heaven. I'm going to go to heaven and the people that are 
trying to arrest him, the people that are scoffing in this way, they have no place in heaven because they are simply not children of God. And then they question among themselves, what manner of saying is this that he said, ye shall seek me and shall not find me and where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, that great day of the feast, remember much of the gospel of John is centered around these return trips to Jerusalem by Jesus on the feast days. So on the last day of this particular feast, Jesus stood and cried, most likely in the temple. doesn't say that, but I, I think it's reasonable to think that he's saying this there in the temple on the last day of the feast. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, some people would view this as an invitation, an invitation to be saved, an invitation to gain eternal life. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. But notice the first thing is this man is thirsty. This man has life. He's not dead. He has life. But, but notice many people would say that belief is the means of regeneration. Belief is the way in which people are born again. But the entire scriptures, especially the gospel of John, teach that belief is the evidence of regeneration. You don't believe to be saved eternally. You don't believe to be saved and regenerated you believe because you are already saved, and belief is the evidence of that. And I think if we look what Jesus is teaching here, the cause and the effect is very clear, right? Verse 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So there's something that's going to manifest externally that's going to flow out, which is belief. Belief is going to flow out, and it's being described here as flowing rivers of living water. So if something flows outward, what is that evidence? It's evidence of something inward, right? So if you see the flowing, the outflowing of the rivers of living water externally in belief, what's that evidence of? That clearly living waters reside inside of that person, right? So belief is yet again the evidence of regeneration. It's the evidence of the living water that lives inside of you. Belief is the evidence, the outflowing of the rivers of living water that live inside of you as Jesus Christ comes and regenerates his children by his own sovereignty and by his own will and by his own voice. So belief flows out. It outflows from the living water that resides inside of us. There's not an invitation for dead people to believe and to be regenerated. If they do believe, that's evidence that they, number one, that they thirst, right? And who who are thirsty people? Alive people are thirsty people, right? There, there's not a lot of water fountains for the dead people in the cemetery, is there? No, if someone's thirsty, they have life. And if someone believes and you see that outflowing of the rivers of living water. What's that evidence of? That living water resides inside of them, right? 
Verse 39, this parenthetical statement here in verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So this, this says that those that believe on Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit. Now again, is that talking about regeneration? Well, I think the Gospel of John has clearly taught that the means of regeneration is the voice of Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God. But there's a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit that comes at belief. Ephesians chapter 1 describes this as a sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit comes down and puts a stamp of approval, a seal of approval on the heart of the child of God that can be examined internally by the child of God, but it can also be examined externally by people as you hopefully publicly profess that belief in Jesus Christ, hopefully coming down and joining a church, hopefully coming down and joining a primitive Baptist church. So there is a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit that comes at belief, but that is not regeneration. That is not regeneration. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe should receive, now notice this language, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So some people would say, you see, there's an invitation for you to come and drink and believe and be born again. There's an invitation for anyone that's interested. Well, again, the invitation is for those that thirst. Those that are thirsty are people that are alive. That are alive. But if anyone would interpret this and try to frame this in the context of regeneration, then you're going to have a lot of problem by saying that the Holy Spirit was not yet given. That, that people were born again in a different way in the Old Testament because the Holy Spirit was not yet given if the context here is regeneration. The context here is not regeneration. It's Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came and baptized the church for the first time. You see, the Holy Spirit is a perfect person in, in the three persons of the Trinity in perfect unity with the Son and the Father. And the Holy Spirit has been borning people again ever since the first person was born again. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been borning people again all throughout the Old Testament and even in this day. But the special manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, had not yet come until the day of Pentecost. Now, there are certain persons of the Godhead that take greater focus during greater visibility during certain periods of time. If we think about the Old Testament, God the Father, Jehovah God, took the, the greatest focus of Scripture. And then obviously during this time, Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, he got the main focus from Scripture. But then when Jesus Christ goes up into heaven, now what person of the Godhead is, is the, the most described as having the, the most active influence in the life of the church? Well, after 
Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, it's, it's the Holy Ghost, you see? So the Holy Ghost was active and moving among the lives of his children. The Holy Ghost was active in regenerating people long ago in the Old Testament, right? But the special manifestation of the Holy Ghost had not come down yet. So that's what's being described here. When a person believes, they can experience that powerful salvation in a temporal sense in their life of discipleship in the kingdom of God that's offered in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he's not offering them to go to heaven. He's asking those, inviting those devout Jews that already were serving God with the knowledge that they had. They felt a pricking, a conviction of conscience. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the disciples told them, save yourself from this untoward generation. Repent and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not when they were born again, but that Holy Spirit came down in a powerful way and baptized them. The Holy Spirit immersed them on that day of Pentecost. And since that time, the Holy Ghost is, is the active person. Now, obviously the, the Father and the Son are active and all of them are working in perfect unity, but the Holy Spirit is the the person of the Godhead that moves among the candlesticks, that moves among the New Testament church. So in that sense, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given, but there wasn't a need for that special manifestation of the Holy Ghost when Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, was walking on the face of the earth, right? But when he went up to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down. So, but this spake of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. There's a special receiving. There's a special manifestation and power of the gift of the Holy Ghost that comes upon God's children when they repent, when they're baptized, and they save themselves from the untoward generation around them. There's that sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise in their heart. And God comes down and gives his people a special gift a special gift of the Holy Ghost that was especially manifest on the day of Pentecost, but also is manifest in the life of every single believer when they publicly confess Jesus Christ, they believe on Jesus Christ, and they especially when they come down the aisles of the church, they repent and they're baptized. And when they submit to that believer's baptism. There is a sealing, there is a special gift of the Holy Ghost that they receive that comes upon them in the New Testament church. So the Holy Spirit came down when Jesus was glorified in a special way to minister unto his children. So as with Many of these verses in the Gospel of John that is sometimes taking, taken to frame belief as the means of regeneration. Again, I believe it's very evident as we rightly divide this that belief is the evidence of regeneration. It's not the cause of regeneration. It's the evidence of regeneration. And when we find someone that's believing, there is a special power. There's a special gift of the Holy Ghost that comes down upon them that ministers to their soul in a way that we just simply do not have if we are walking in unbelief. Verse 40, 
Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this, saying, of a truth, this is a prophet. It's a prophet. That prophet that was prophesied all the way in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and in verse 15. But others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? You know, we, we, we're seeing him perform miracles. That seems to indicate that he might be the Christ, but he, he hails from Galilee. He hails from Nazareth. Uh, he doesn't publicly say that he's from Bethlehem. Now, he was of the lineage of Joseph, who had a heritage in Bethlehem, and he went there during the census, but uh, he, he publicly hailed from Galilee. He publicly hailed from Nazareth, and that was very confusing. Verse forty-three: There was a division among the people because of him, and some of him would have, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. So, verse forty-five: Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they said unto him, why have you not brought him? We told y'all to go arrest him. Well, they, they could not take him because his time was not yet come. But notice the answer. Notice the answer of the officers. <laughs> these men, uh, that they, they were just doing their job, so to say. You know, uh, these officers had been told by their, their leaders, the Pharisees, go arrest this man. And then they have to go back to their supervisors and, and they're asking him, why didn't you arrest him? And notice their answer. I love this answer. The officer said, never man spake like this man. And boy, that's the truth, isn't it? I can just envision, you know, somebody showing up there to arrest him, that somebody showing up there to arrest Jesus Christ. And they're just, they're so enthralled by his words, this power in which he taught, the authority with which he spake. And they listen and they're enthralled by his words. And then they walk away and they're like, wait a minute. Wait, we were supposed to arrest him. <laughs> they forgot what they were there for because they were just so astounded and enthralled by the speech of the living word of God. <laughs> and that's no surprise that they were so enthralled by the speech of the living word. But I love that testimony right there. And there's much we could say about that. Uh, we'd love to preach a whole message on that, uh, but we'll defer for the sake of time. Never man spake like this man. And boy, that's the truth, isn't it? Never man spake like God. I mean, this is God. We shouldn't be surprised uh, with, the, with the power and, and the, the precision of his speech. Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? Well, actually, uh, one of them had. <laughs> they had just, he had just not publicly declared that. And that man's Nicodemus is gonna be introduced here in the upcoming verses. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. In other words, these, these simple-minded people, they're deceived by him, but us highfalutin lawyers, us highfalutin scribes, we're not deceived by him, but the, the people who knoweth not the law, right? They're not as knowledgeable in the scriptures as we are. These, these foolish, gullible simpletons who don't know the law, uh, they're being deceived, but we're not being deceived. And notice the man who stands up is the man among the Pharisees who is a believer in Jesus Christ at this time, just not a public believer in Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus 
by night, being one of them, Nicodemus passively kind of stands up for Jesus, but not fully. He didn't want to profess at this time that he was a believer in Jesus Christ, but he does want to push back uh, to, to at least say, Doth our law judge any man before it heareth him, and knoweth what he doeth? In other words, everybody deserves due process, right? Everybody has a, has a right, and praise God that we do have due process, especially here in America. You have the right to confront your, your accusers, right? Every man has their day in court. So Nicodemus is, is not necessarily defending Jesus as the Messiah. He's just saying, hey, he, he deserves due process. And they, they answer Nicodemus there, and they say, start to start kind of slandering him. Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And that's certainly true of the scriptures. Uh, no, no prophet is described as coming out of Nazareth. And again, that caused great confusion among the people. But I will say Nicodemus, if you track the progression of Nicodemus, right? John chapter three, he comes at night. Here in John chapter seven, he stands up for Jesus, but does it kind of quietly, uh, not, not really wanting to publicly believe, not wanting him to publicly declare him as the Christ, but he is trying to defend him, but not willing to publicly uh, confess him. But yet, at the same time, at least Nicodemus's defense there, at least it dispersed this situation. Every man went unto his own house. But then, thankfully, we see the progression of Nicodemus in uh, the latter chapters of John chapter maybe 19 and 20, that he comes and, and, and he gets the body of Jesus Christ with Joseph of Arimathea, and he, he anoints the body of Jesus Christ. It's great to see the progression of growth of Nicodemus throughout the Gospel of John. So, that concludes John chapter 7. Uh, a few thoughts about the uh, passages that we considered this evening. This contention surrounding the identity of Jesus Christ. And many people struggled because Jesus was simply not what they expected. He didn't come from where they expected him to come. He didn't come uh, he came from the seed of David, but he did not come as a king. He came as a servant. He came as the suffering servant. And then Jesus did all these great miracles, but people still expected even more miracles from him. Christ was not what, what they expected. And for that reason, many people did not accept him. Many people did not believe on him. And then we have these somewhat mysterious, somewhat fascinating language about the uh, Holy Spirit not being given yet and because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was glorified when he ascended up into heaven and 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was given unto the church in that special way. At this time, Jesus Christ was given to the church, right? In a special way during his earthly ministry. But when Jesus went back up into heaven, then the Holy Spirit was given in a special way, in that baptism of the Holy Spirit that we find in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then I love the language there in verse 46. Those officers, they went to arrest Jesus and they said, never man spake like this man. And certainly that's true. Never man spake like this man. And then we have Nicodemus quietly 
standing up for Jesus, and thankfully we see his growth and progression throughout the Gospel of John. So we hope that these thoughts from the conclusion of John chapter 7 have been edifying for you, and if that's the case, we certainly thank the Lord for it. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.